You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. And this is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. Do you feel the cool ocean breeze blowing through your headphones? It's a beach-to-beach connection on the show (laughs) this week. Um, yes, our, 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 uh, our usual studios have been given over to warm cedar paneling and uh, a beautiful uh, views and vistas, which are terrible for audio. Good Lord. So really much white good. noise. It's just a, yeah. it's a disaster. Going to uh, have to run a noise reduction plug-in on the tape once we are done rolling it here, but... That is a small price to pay, Smith. Did you for... know, by the way, um, that that um, uh, the the sound of the sea, um, mm-hmm. just sort of like when you're when you're beachfront, um, you don't really notice it because it's such white noise. But it ends up being something like forty to fifty decibels uh, of constant background noise. Um, really, uh, it spikes at fifty. But yeah, like thir- thirty-five to forty-five in sort of a rolling, um, it's just, which is fascinating. Like you, how much the brain adjusts to that. It's not like a spike; it isn't like a loud noise or a bang. But um, it's just sort of a constant background hmm. hum. Now, do we think psychologically that is more or less healthy than a constant forty decibel siren wail and dumpster <laughs> clang? <laughs> Because that's uh, sort in, of what I'm used to. Generally. Infinitely healthier, because <laughs> uh, yeah, it's all about the, the the stuff that's bad for you, and it does seem, in fact, upon further review, that it is quite bad for you. But the stuff that's mm. bad for you is bad for you because of the um, the strong changes, uh, and in fact, it's only when things like spike, uh, like a siren or a backfire or a, a truck going by, that it has a sort of psychological effect on you because it's sort of constantly f- triggering your fear reflex, um, well, which is Alan, bad for the body. I don't think you planned this, but uh, sudden fluctuations <laughs> being bad for one's psychological well-being is honestly the most extraordinary segue that I could possibly imagine for uh, the the subject that, that we are convened here in the cool summer ocean air to discuss, which is yours and mine, 2023 Baltimore Orioles, who find themselves at the halfway point of the season with many, many identities, I think it is fair to say. And we don't uh, seem to know in a given week which of those identities will show up. Will we see, Smith, the rock-solid starting core that goes six to seven innings, giving up no more than two runs per nine and keeps us in the games late, even though we're uh, a light-hitting station-to-station type of team that is only capable of scratching out three to four runs a game? Or will it be the 4th of July fireworks offense that needs to score... Uh, 8 to 13 runs a game because that same starting core, which notionally is comprised of the same humans, uh, <laughs> can't get 
Anybody out? Uh, it's also interesting to see like whether or not, as of late, um, our bullpen's relationships to getting outs mm. is beginning to Front. resemble my relationship with bungee jumping. <laughs> um, which is to say, I can see why other people might want to do it, but I'm not mm-hmm. into it myself. Uh, so you know, they could they can understand mm-hmm. in theory why one should suggest that that would be a good idea, but in it's not it's not for them. Uh, not right, you know. Obviously, uh, the asterisks of Felix Bautista, notwithstanding. Um, no, I think it's a. I think it's a. Uh, I think it is interesting. Uh, we were talking before, looking around the league, um, many mm-hmm. of the teams that are that were either tapped to be contenders at the beginning of the season, or even the somewhat surprises, your your Tampa Bay Rays are one eight hundred Cincinnati Reds. The Reds are sort of rounding into form. Um, you know how they want to win games, and you know how. They will be beaten if they are to be beaten. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting to see this Orioles team, which, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you could point to um, a, a a front office who seems to be deciding day by day whether or not this is the season that we go all in on. Um, you've got a, a, a lineup that is missing two key contributors right now in Mullins and uh, I hope Mountcastle again. Um, you've got a bunch of prospects who may or may not be showing up to be the kind of the cavalry in, in, in charge and in, in the rear, but it's a, it's a very, um, it's a very multi-faced team. Um, there are definitely lots of different versions of what you could get on any given day. And the only thing that we know for sure is that we are categorically incapable of winning a game going away. Yes. And we don't (laughs) seem to enjoy the Royals. We can beat the Royals. We can beat the Royals, but so can any, anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, a, a gaggle of, uh, Tourists at the local saltwater <laughs> taffy stand, I think, could probably handle uh, the Royals. Um, this is this, I suppose, is the other way of looking at at this Orioles team. Is yes, uh, there are we have a lot of different identities. I suppose a more positive spin on that is that we have a lot of ways that we can beat you. Um, yeah. which is to say. We might outpitch you, and we might outhit you. Um, it's just that we're never apparently going to do those things on the same day, right? Uh, and th- there's there's a, a level of promise there, which is if we imagine ever getting those two things on the same page, watch out. Yeah, yeah, um, but but also um, the. It, it, it is a, it is a reminder that to be a good baseball team, you have to have multiple parts of your organization firing at the same time, and th- that gets me to like a. Um, I, I I think that I think that I'll start by saying that the Ryan O'Hearn Aaron Hicks experience is an unadulterated joy. 
it is <laughs> it is I'm enjoying it very much. Um, but the only um, dark lining to an otherwise entirely silver cloud for me is that those guys' hot streaks have been going on for so long that they seem to be um, paralyzing our front office, um, which is to say, like, right. Do, right. do you kind of ride it and hope that whatever the heck is happening with Aaron Hicks is a season-long hot streak, or do you really say, no, this is just a month, let's all think about um, – Mateo and Cano, and uh, remember that all things that fly eventually fall back to the earth. Uh, and <laughs> bit of an Icarus situation, it, yeah. And and so I, you know, I I think that um, those just psychologically, it's very hard to say. Let's bring up some of the young guns on the farm and then sit them because. We can't take Aaron Hicks out of the lineup. But yeah. conversely, yeah. I do think that like sort of those – I don't think it's fool's gold. Like they're, they're doing great. They're helping us win baseball games. This is fantastic. I love it. I love everything about it. I'm especially excited that he's a cast-off Yankee. It's, this is enjoyable in every, every facet of the game. But I do think that you can't assume that this will continue. Like every new day is a beautiful new day, but that could be the last. <laughs> I think I think you've really put your finger on something here, Smith, because consider this, right? I think it is likely that when Mullins comes back, you could shift Aaron Hicks into the fourth outfielder role. So uh, Mullins goes back to starting in sec- center field. You have Hayes and Santander in left and right. And then you have switch hitting Aaron Hicks who still has some pop left in his bat and an apparent ability to come through in the clutch he's a weapon for you off the bench um and we no longer need that weapon to be named Ryan McKenna who to whom the term weapon does not apply um and I actually don't I think, know if this is true does is Aaron Hicks a a um cromulent enough defender to remove the sort of like McKenna in on the eighth and ninth innings way that he has been used. Can he he do that? Defender wise. Yes, I think so. I don't think he can. I don't think he runs as fast as McKenna. So he's not as helpful as like a late inning pinch runner, but we have other options there, I think. Um, So you can, you can, you can look at that and say like, okay, that's not so bad. Um, In terms of Mountcastle, I'm going to sit here formally and advocate that when Mountcastle comes back, he should he's not get. A, he's in a platoon. He's in a platoon. He should bat. He should bat and play first base against lefties, and we should keep O'Hearn at first base against righties. Mountcastle becomes the short side of the platoon guy, and he can be um, twenty twenty one Albert Pujols. And I, you know, I would like to think that there's still a possibility that Mountcastle could develop into something more than that. But we also need to be prioritizing winning games. And that to me is the strategy to get us there. That said, that what I've just laid out, that plan of attack for when Mullins and Mountcastle get back, that is still, that's a very Orioles scarcity mindset approach. Hmm. That's still making lemons out of lemonade. 
the 2023 Oriole identity that we keep wanting to show up. The like, bring up Westberg, bring yeah. up Kowser. Push all of our chips into the... Into the uh... <laughs> yes, or trade one of them for a lights out starting pitcher. Th- these types of like big shove kind of moves those are very much on the table and i think this identity question that we're talking about that like this is the crux of it is like Mm -hmm. the reason that the team is reflective of what seems to be a certain amount of indecision is because it seems like organizationally we're not sure yeah we're waffling we're trying to see i I think i think what, what the what what the orioles are trying to do i think it's really interesting that like um the Yankees have had a little bit of a teeter and the Red Sox have not totally gotten their shit together. I think one of the things that we were kind of looking at is like, okay, so what is our path to the playoffs here? And are, you know, is it, is it realistic that, um, that we will really only be competing again? Like what, how many teams do we have to beat to get there? Um, I think that the Rangers have cooled off a little bit. I think so. So, you know, People who are competing for one of those wild cards, I will we be able to catch the Rays? Who knows? But it does feel like um, we we've been hanging out on the fence, uh, hoping that we will have more clarity about where our head to head opposition ends up. And it looks to me this week, looking at the standings, that some of them are fading a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Which would suggest that maybe this is like closing in on go time. Um, maybe the liftoff that <laughs> we were promised six months ago is <laughs> is actually close. Yeah. Well, I, f- I don't think we've said this so far on the broadcast, but Sunday, day after tomorrow, is the official halfway point of the season. And that means... That you know, you're starting to see the um, front office guys from a bunch of unsurprising contending teams and surprising contending teams come out and give formal statements to the press about like, all right, we're going to be buyers at the deadline, or we're um, you know we're looking in that in that direction. Most notably, the Reds uh, declared themselves to be buyers at the deadline. Yeah. Um. And good for them, do, by unless, the way. That's a fun. That's a fun team. <laughs> oh, dude. Ellie de la Cruz is oh my gosh. a human highlight reel. But I unless I missed it, I don't think Elias has given any public statements no, to this he effect. He has not. And I mean, I don't think he could we could not credibly claim at this point that there's any reason to think that we are sellers. Like the level of success has been too sustained for the entire season. But I do sort of feel like this, I don't know, this bumps up against this old anxiety that we have of what is the ownership group going to enable him or empower him to actually do? And is, right, like sort of reading the tea leaves and is this the right moment to do it? I I, I think Mm -hmm. that... There are, um, I, I think that there have been so many found gold moments in this run so far. I'm counting Cano, Mateo, um, 
uh, Hicks, uh, O'Hearn, um, that, and when, when you layer that on with what feels like obviously continued excellence from Rutschman um, and Henderson rounding into form and kind of figuring it out kind of in the way that Adley did at the plate last year after mm-hmm, a certain mm-hmm. number of games. Um, and then you add on, you know, Hayes is leading the American League in batting average, right? Yeah, what? <laughs> Where what did that happen from? there? Um, that all, all of, you know, if, if, if you think about every baseball player's season as a bell curve um, <laughs> of possible outcomes, um, the <laughs> Oriole, a lot of Orioles are on the right side of that bell curve, right? They're, they are probably yes. overperforming what is average and assumptive about what their season was going to be. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. it seems like when all of those things are happening together in a confluence, that has to mean something. Like, we don't necessarily get this next year. We don't, you know, we can't, we can't assume this yeah. is all going to happen again. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was just thinking like 45 and 28 is, we've banked a lot of wins. Um, and yeah. that Half, we're halfway, you, we're halfway to a, to a playoff worthy number of wins. Yeah. Um, and it seems like, the, you know, the, the, that, that, because so many of these have been tight games and because so many of them have been games that have been won by surprise contribute contributions, um, like you could really look at the season and see a, a 39 and 37 team at this point. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And we're not, which means to me, like, let's take that, that, that those banked wins and invest in them. <laughs> yes. Yes. I get I off the fence. You schmucks. <laughs> I agree. And there's also, I don't know, for the first time, if you look like the, I feel like there's a lot of consternation in the ranks of people like us about what's going on with the Westberg and Kowser call-up delays. Because there have been moments recently where bringing one or both of them up would have made a lot of sense from a roster standpoint, would have made a lot of sense from an offensive standpoint, and we have instead brought up a fourth string catcher <laughs> again and again or what is like this a, what is this catcher thing man it's very confusing it's very confusing and even like yeah even even if it's just a cup i mean like I, even the way we've been using ortiz right like cup of coffee and lester yeah uh, like some at bats uh you know day off here and there like that makes more sense to me than um I don't even remember the guy's name who we like had for one game. We cash considerations. Yeah. And then what, like what, what is that move? Is that like we, we're, we want his agent to feel good about us later? Like what is happening? <laughs> right. Right. Does he have the same agent as Adley Rutschman? Is this some kind of long-term contract extension ploy? Um, don't hate it. Yeah, if that's the case, hate it for every that other case. case. <laughs> that's maybe sixth dimensional chess. And I saw yeah. it. Um, yeah. But I think at this point, it, tell me if you agree, it's impossible to reach any conclusion other than they definitely are gearing up for some kind of Kauser-Westberg move at the deadline. Because you're, like, your all-star center fielder goes down. Um, 
Gunnar Henderson has a uh, tweaks his back and then is down with the flu and um, Mountcastle goes on the DL. Like, how are you not the, the, these roster spots for an extended that are going to be open for an extended look are available? How are you not bringing these guys up? That you know, I feel like looking at the tea leaves, it's impossible to reach any other conclusion. Do you buy the sort of um, Twitterati theory that? Uh, you don't bring them up because you don't want them to be exposed and you want the sort of like the dreams of potential to outweigh at like a two week or struggle to readjust period. I do buy that. I do buy that. That makes a fair bit of sense to me. And I even as excited as I am about both of those players, uh, I mean, let's stick with just Westberg for a second. Cause I guess Kowser is more of an outfielder, but um, the Westberg thing is really exciting but it, we are in this insanely luxurious position of having Jackson Holiday looking like he's going to be banging down the door next for the year. starting <laughs> shortstop job next year. Um, so, I, with apologies to Jordan, it makes Westberg expendable, probably, knock on wood. Um, so, as long as the move that we make brings back a starting pitcher of sufficient caliber, I don't hate it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I still do. <laughs> I still, what's, I still, what's behind that? Let's explore this. Are you, do you doubt the long-term holiday potential? No, no. I, I just, I just, I'm, I just am risk adverse. Uh, I don't know if you're following mm-hmm. the NBA at all, but like there's this Zion Williamson fella, uh, mm-hmm. who everyone agrees is like an absolutely seminal talent, but can't stay healthy and doesn't seem to really care that much about basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he, when he's playing, he's one of the best five people in the league, like mm-hmm. bar none, but he doesn't play mm-hmm. very many games. Uh, and so now he's kind of generally agreed to be on the trade block. And mm-hmm. the discussion is like, you know, he, his value is, He's, he's on the de- decline in terms of value. Like he's getting older. He's or he has already not stayed fit. All these sorts of right. things. Right. But what if he puts it together? Mm-hmm. What if he stays mm-hmm. healthy for a season? Then you've just mm-hmm. traded, like especially in the NBA, where if you don't have one of the right. top ten guys, like you don't really have a shot. Like you need this right. guy, and that calculus. You don't want to Jake Arietta yourself. Yeah. What if? What if, you know, he just needs this little, and, and, you know, the other calculus is like, okay, for Zion is like, okay, maybe that will never happen here. You know, maybe Mm -hmm, that will happen, mm -hmm. but it's not going to happen here. So we need to do something about that. But I just have this, um, I have a, I have a, a more negative reaction to Orioles prospects prospering elsewhere than I do like that. That feels like such a, um. Uh, uh, I don't even know what economic fallacy this is, but like the idea that he could go elsewhere and be great still mm-hmm. weighs heavily on me. And I can't, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, I feel like, you know, there's, you can always use more talent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's impossible to know if a guy is going to come up and be totally 
overmatched or is going to need, as Adley and Gunner have, extended uh, patience. Yeah, they they needed they needed carafes of coffee. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not cups. Um, I guess the the thing for me that I'm finding disturbing is that there is a sense that these other teams, whether we're talking about the Braves or the Astros, and obviously there's the cheating element there, but um, let's pretend for a moment, um, or the Rays, over the course of a bunch of years, have really hardened an approach that seems built for the long term. The Dodgers, too, I would put in that category. And I can't really... It seems like we have an opportunity to crystallize a signature style of our own, and I, I can't really – I wish I could detect at this point what, <laughs> what that, that was. What that was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Because you know, right I now think... it, it still feels too familiar, familiar-y, familiarly like the 2012-2014 version of the team that's like – what did we say when we were texting the other day? Uh, somebody in Hicks and, and pray for sticks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. in Hicks and pray for sticks. Right, right. I mean, like, I thought it was fascinating to see uh, the the lineup the other day. I guess, you know, it's because Mullins is on a recovery tour and uh, Mount Castle's on a recovery tour. But the lineup that um, Norfolk threw out there yeah. was like, terrifying <laughs> like yeah. there was like six guys who I was like oh you guys should probably be in the majors you know yeah. i i guess i guess for me um i i still would give this administration the benefit of the <laughs> doubt in terms of talent evaluation enough to say like they're getting a good long look at, um, uh, you know, the potentially not just the the next in line, but the, the future shortstops of the future, right? And if if they if they look at Jackson and they're like, this guy's this guy's our guy, then I can see it. But mm-hmm. I also don't really understand why. I mean. I, I guess if he's if if uh, Westberg is worth a good starting pitcher right now, I don't think having him on the bench and having a couple pinch hits and a couple of different opportunities um, changes that. Like I don't, I think talent is talent, and he's put up enough stats, enough in Triple A that people are going to look at him and be like. I, I, I guess I'm saying, like, I don't think you can overexpose a guy in two weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 I think if you use him right, then he he's going to, you know, he's going to be okay. Yeah. And I guess the question is, where is the Do you want to win line? now? Like, Jackson's not coming up this year, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Even, even the most mercurial rise is not coming up this year. So the question a little bit is, like, if I look at the 
starting bats um, a couple, like, last, the get-out-of-town game against the Royals when Rushman was sitting and, uh, for whatever reason, Santander needed a day off. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at that lineup and I was like, whew. I mean, then they ended up putting like 12, 12 runs up, right? Because Hicks yeah. and O'Hearn yeah. went crazy. But like, mm-hmm. so what do I know? But <laughs> it does feel like that kind of lineup, if you're willing to kind of move people up and down and use your 40-man roster and like put people on the taxi squad and like move people around, which I don't feel like the Orioles are doing enough of right now. Um, yeah. Why not bring him up for that game? Why not? <laughs> well, they they are doing a lot of that. It's just, as we talked about. Catchers. The, the only people on the taxi. <laughs> Is a shell game of catchers, which is also, can I say justice for Maverick Handley? If we're going to bring catchers up and down all willy nilly, can one of them please be Maverick Handley? Yeah. What's the problem here? Why not? Just at least, at least it'll be a fun name. If it was, if our catching core was Adley Rutschman and Maverick Handley, Mm. I, I challenge, (laughs) I challenge another team to have a pair of catchers with more syllables in their collective names. <laughs> and to sound more like senators from the great state of South Carolina in yep. 1874. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly that. Exactly that. So, I mean, the other the 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 thing we have not talked about yet at all in our um it, it, the bullpen seems to be at um, let's hope let's hope it's a nadir. Uh, let's I hope would say it's, we, a, it's, we've it's hit a the low ceiling. ebb. <laughs> we've we've hit um, the ceiling of its talent for sure. Yes, yes, and uh, you know, I feel like Brandon Hyde has proven to us that he's not going to let these starters work through too much past the fourth inning. Like if a starter gets in trouble and there's anything left in the game, he's going to go to, he's got a pretty quick hook. Um, Mm -hmm. And probably that's for the good. Like probably he's saving their arms for a long season and he's eyeing the playoffs and he wants his starters to be in good kit for that. But talk about another place that we should be using our, taxi squad slash organizational depth a little bit more. And that to me is middle relief. Like I don't understand why we're still rolling out some of the dudes who, you know, if you can't get outs in a high leverage situation, okay, but we'll, we need you to get outs when we're up seven to two. Can't do that either. Okay. How about outs when we're down five runs up? Oh, can't do that either. So what yeah. am I using you for? Like, yeah. Why are well, you on this squad? A lot of the innings that Bauman and Perez and uh, Aiken and Voth for and a time. And suddenly Baker, unfortunately. And Baker, a lot of the innings that they are absorbing were supposed to be Givens and Tate innings. And I think if you have a healthy Dylan Tate and Michael Givens, Aiken's for sure not on the team. Voth is probably not on the team. And I don't know if Bauman is up. Bauman's probably on the bubble. Um, and they, I keep hoping... Do we have that, any evidence that those people are on the way back, though? They're both on rehab assignments. But 
you know, Tate was on a rehab assignment once. Or no, what did you call it? A recovery tour. I like that much better. <laughs> uh, Tate's on a recovery tour. And I think this one is going okay, but he had a setback on his last one. So that could happen again. And Givens already completed one recovery tour and then imploded. Was in the majors for a uh, second. Yeah. So, I mean, if we can't get both of, I think if we can get both of those guys back, like Perez to me is a classic case of overexposure. Yeah. Um, he should not pitch as much as he's being asked to pitch, which honestly is not that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, Baker is most effective as like a fire breathing seventh inning guy every once in a while. And we're asking him to get five to six outs and he is not built for that. Yeah. Bauman's a mop-up guy. Sorry, Mike, but you, <laughs> you are a, much like the straggly hair on your head. You are a mop. And Givens and Tate are supposed to be our actual lockdown Darren O'Day types. Yeah, I and mean, if, if Perez um, and if Perez was being used... Uh, Perez and uh, Danny Colum were being used in some way close to like, okay, there's t- three left at lefty at bats in the order right here. Let me bring <laughs> bring them in for this particular matchup situation. Kind of like how we're using Ryan O'Hearn, um, but in reverse. Yeah. Then I see I see why their roster spots are there. Um, yeah, but but this to me this to me is the answer to your question, Smith is. The the deadline needs all of a sudden, like we've always known we need another starting pitcher because that's been true for 20 years. But <laughs> but, like when did fully, Mike that's leave? been true for 20 years. <laughs> um, but the the Givens and Tate thing is, is that to me is maybe the biggest question that, that we have to answer is, do we need to add more of those slots to the shopping list because if those guys can't come back right now there's dents in the hull but those are going to turn into punctures pretty quick mhm mhm yeah yeah let me ask I, you about oh go ahead go ahead i was just going to say um what I, I i guess i don't um i don't really understand what they're worth like I, mm-hmm. I, I, given how many buyers they appear to be, I don't know what the market's going to be, and I'll be interested to see like where that settles. Yeah. yeah, and there is also the fact that we do, as an organization, I mean, we should maybe say this, right? Like, for all the trouble that we seem to have finding and developing good starting pitching, we do have a demonstrated years long at this point ability to find insanely valuable scrap heap middle relievers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's not like a winning strategy. It's <laughs> not like something to bet on. But I do feel, if nothing else, I do feel confidence in the front office that they will be able to find at find least right one guys. more of those. Because if you had told me that, you know, Danny Coulomb would be one of the key members of the... 2023 playoff contending Baltimore Orioles. I simply would not have believed you. We, yeah, we didn't believe it. (laughs) I think we're on tape. So let me ask you uh, 
one other question, switching gears sort of slightly, zooming out a little bit. Did you see this Wander Franco story? About him uh, being pulled from the lineup for being too, um, it sounded like maybe down on his teammates or frustrated or. Yeah, something about having some difficulty managing his anger issues. Yeah. And I don't know. I was just thinking about that because if Wander Franco, Franco, Wander Franco is amongst position players, your leader in wins above replacement in the American League. Absurdly talented baseball player. And obviously the Rays have wins to spare. Right. Um, And it, you know, if any team can absorb the removal of somebody like that from the lineup, it is the Rays. But by virtue of his wins above replacement figures, he's clearly one of the biggest parts of the team's success so far. And I I don't know. I just, I saw that and I had two thoughts. One, I thought it really says a lot about the Rays as an organization that they would make that move, that they feel like there's something about that move in terms of Wander Franco's long-term development that feels more important to them than sustaining their run. And they, they have not been playing quite as well over the last 10, 12 games as they had, had been previously. So it's like, it's a pretty gutsy move to do that. And then also, I thought, for all the things that we fret about on these airwaves every week, Nothing like that, and I can already tell these are going to be famous last words, but nothing like that ever seems to happen with the Orioles, hmm. that, that somebody has an attitude problem. Not since Manny. I was going to say, since Machado left, right? We're all... Since Machado <laughs> left. Since Machado left. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, you know, another thing that I think is interesting and maybe sort of an, an interesting evolution of baseball in 2023 is that they told us why. Um, I think, mm. you know, uh, previous iterations of this sport might be the kind of game where he just disappeared for two days and we were told, you know, he needs a rest or he's got a niggling hamstring or whatever that is. Uh, and they handled it in-house. And I thought it was interesting that, like, kind of vibes and anger and mm-hmm. et cetera are important um, enough to – to, to come clean about it to the press, I thought was interesting. That's true. That's true. And makes me wonder, do we believe that Mountcastle has vertigo? I do. Yeah? I do. Okay. Yeah. Because I think that we're in, I think that we're in an era right now where like, if it was, I don't know, uh, Lopez just took 15 days in Minnesota for mental health. He went on the mental health IR. Did um, he really? Yeah. Which is, you know, former something. Oriole Jorge Lopez. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that's that's and, what happened. You know, but it is, it is interesting to see not only that um, that the twins have decided to recognize mental health as a reason to go on the DL and be away from the um, team for a bit, but also yeah. that, like, you know, that's being yeah, it's publicly talked about. He's mm-hmm. not getting raked on Twitter, you know. And yeah. I, I think that we are in such a moment. That's true. And there are so many good vibes around the Orioles clubhouse 
that if the, to me, I think I, I think I trust the team at this point to be like, hey, if he's struggling and needs some time off, then we'll say he's struggling and needs some time off, and there's not quite the stigma that there might have used to have been. Yeah, yeah, and you know, knowing Mount Castle, I was about to say knowing Mount Castle like as like a person, we do, <laughs> which I don't. <laughs> um, you know, for all of the frustrations that often accompany watching him try to hit breaking balls. Um, he he does seem like somebody, I can imagine he's the kind of person who's like, I'm not taking myself out of the lineup. And that it took something as real as vertigo, which as somebody who's had vertigo is terrifying. Yeah. I, I buy the fact that it, um, I suppose that that, that, that is what is, is really going on. And also just to tag on what you were saying about the twins, I also thought it was interesting. They recently had this thing about Byron Buxton, who has been, you know, uh, because it is, a, <laughs> uh, a year that has four digits in it, uh, str- uh, injured. Um, he's been DHing for most of the year and they said, Oh, that's not to protect his body. A lot of people thought that was to protect his body. Um, they were like, no, no, and keep him in the lineup long term. They were like, no, he's he's too, even when he's been in the lineup, he's too hurt to play the field. All he can do is swing a bat. Hmm. Um, and they were just very frank about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what sort of competitive advantage we think that all the old school teams were getting from not <laughs> being honest about those things. Um, I guess there's like a certain, I don't know, public shame and embarrassment maybe is going away, but not even that much, Um, especially as the stigma, the stigma leaves. I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm certainly not a doctor. I don't have any sense of what uh, vertigo causes and whether or not, like what causes vertigo rather and whether or not um, you by rest and time away from what you're doing, get better, quote unquote. I I often think of vertigo as a symptom of an underlying problem, but we'll see. Yeah, that's what's what's scary about it. That's what's scary about it. However, there are pills that you can take that are very effective. I have taken them, and I'm not a religious person, but they are miracles because (laughs) you go literally from waking up and – feeling like you're in a fishbowl to Mm. being able to live your life. Um, And I don't have to hit 96-mile-an-hour fastballs Mm -hmm. uh, in my day-to-day life or catch, you know, 85-mile-an-hour laser beams that are being flung at me (laughs) while (laughs) a 250-pound muscle-bound man is bearing down on me. (laughs) So I can... I can see where it would be tough to play baseball with vertigo is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Anything that in any way disrupts your um, senses and gives you a, a sense that you cannot trust your senses seems to me to be a uh, big problem. Big problem. Not, not being able to trust our senses. Theme of the episode, folks. <laughs> there we go. Put the bow Theme on it. Theme of the episode. Um, you know, we've really asked... Uh, as usual, a lot of very difficult to answer questions this week, Smith. And I I think that there's really only one that we have have not yet raised, um, which is why it gives me great 
great satisfaction to raise it now. Um, and that question is, what, you know, and, and just answer this question for yourself. I, I don't know how sure. others would answer this question. <laughs> sure. And as you answer it, please keep in mind that, you know, there are a lot of sayings that, that the English language has borrowed from the original French um, that tend to get thrown into conversation without the people who are throwing them into said conversation necessarily knowing what they mean. Sure. So that's sure, just, sure, sure. you know, that all questions generally have a cultural context, and that's the cultural context for this question, which I am arriving at now. <laughs> and, and that question is, what, Alan, would you call <coughs> former Orioles outfield prospect who, let it be said, uh, I don't know if we ever could have successfully traded for um, even, you know, a rosin bag. Um, what would you call former Orioles prospect Henry Yerudia when he is engaged in a uh, misguided... Let's say in this scenario that he's become a member of the front office and mm. he's engaged in a misguided negotiation with a similarly out-of-his-depth fellow executive. What would you call him in this incredibly well-articulated and easy-to-follow scenario? Well, given the past uh, history of Orioles executives, I would go with maybe Henry Deja Vu Rudia. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> That's so much better. <laughs> but I think we've used it before. What were you going with? I was going to go with uh, Henry Foliadu Rudia. <laughs> okay. But I like yours better. And am confident that that your use of deja vu is better than whatever <laughs> Fakakta version of it I used previously. <laughs> Go well, friends, O's. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Baltimoreans. Baltimoreans.